Now we're connected. All right, let's see if the new music player works here and we can hear that. Okay, let's play it. Tax the rich, feed the poor, tell their own rich no more. All righty, here we go on the old Saturday edition of the Radio Ranch. I believe today is the 20th of August, is what my little thing tells me. I could have sworn it was the 21st, but my days are blending at seven-day-a-week work weekdays. And, uh, of course, Roger sails with you, and it's the Radio Ranch, our Saturday edition, and on Eurofolk Radio Network. We've got a few of the folks on the board here. We were just uh, chewing the breeze before we kick off, which I guess we've officially done now. Everything seems to work for the audience. It may be listening. I had to go through two, one on my one on my. Um, uh, desktop and one on my laptop computer this morning to uh, updates and you know how microsoft man they just will not let you go without doing an update you used to cause they you could go in the back and, and through a whatever do a bunch of stuff and get into this little spot that says please let me okay updates well you chick click that and they don't even honor it anymore they just shove them up your barracks bag so i fight them all the time the problem is i do the show on a laptop and uh i don't the only time i use it is for the program and 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 stuff like this you know interviews whatnot and so during a lot of times during the program when they're gonna shove an update up your rectum they give you this little now or snooze or something and it's always coming on during the program because that's really the only time the computer's being used and so i always delay it and then you delay it enough and they do it to you overnight and then with this portable I got to go through all kinds of password and stuff to get on, and it's not just like okay, it comes on in the operating system. So, always got to fight through all that crap, and they want you to do all kinds. It's just aggravating as hell. So anyway, I've been dealing with that since I hit the floor this morning. Just got it straightened out a few minutes ago. So, I thought we have to do the show on the damn cell phone today, but thank God I got through it. Uh, so anyway, here we are. A few more people join us on the board this morning. It's a so our second Saturday edition of the program, and uh, last week was good. Um, y'all gave me good feedback, and we just went over. I don't remember what we went over for the first uh, hour, but you liked it, and uh, it was maybe Dan or somebody said, well, let's use this for teaching. Well, it, everything's teaching we do here. It's just, does anybody come forward that has questions? That's the important thing. And we may have some of those folks today. We've got some new folks from the Tim Brown uh, appearances past week who've been writing me emails and stuff. So I hope they show up today and we can address some of their things. But uh, a couple of things on the front burner. Let's see first. Um, Frank, let's deal with you first, okay? So if you can undo the mute and uh let's go into uh, uh i think frank is unusual in the fact that it seems like the second time only that we've gotten a different type of correspondence from irs uh frank you there yes sir okay so frank wrote me last night and i, I looked at the letter there's some attachments too but i could see from the first sentence what they were doing and this is only the second time this ever happened frank you know you said you'd never we always talk about the bluff letters right but uh the bluff letters are from the state department for passport applications 
this on the IRS is about, I don't know, seven years ago or so, whenever that letter was dated, whatever that I sent you, the Shane's letter. Yeah, that uh, one is dated. I've got it open here. Uh, actually, it's dated uh, uh, 12 August 2019. So, Oh, was that recent? Ago. Oh, okay. So fair yeah, that, at least that's the reply. Yeah. I think, yeah. yeah. Well, it was, I, you know, I'm, I, I probably stretched it out a little bit from when he received it. And I'll tell you why. I've learned over the years with these creeps that uh, when you get something, you know, it's I can remember going to the mailbox and you get something from IRS and your knees are shaking all the way back to the house, you know. And because uh, these people, they're terrorists, what they are. Um, well, I hear you about that when you get a letter from them, because ironically, this week I got the uh, Polis bribe check from our Tabor returns. And I wasn't expecting from the Colorado State Department. And when I opened it up, it was a nice little check there because uh, I, I filed for 21. So I'm eligible for that Tabor refund. And then when I got this one yesterday, I'm like, wait a second, I'm not going to have that much of a good luck to get another check from the IRS. <laughs> and I, I, so I was kind of taken aback a little bit by it. But anyway, um, you, you know, the thing that concern me was like i mentioned to you when we were pre-talking there is that it was signed and you kind of indicated that uh quote unquote these bastards will never put their name to it so that was the first thing and i guess my concern i like your letter that you sent and i'll paraphrase it but if i did do not or did not reply to this does silence deem consent in this with respect well, to their statements to me well let me tell you what we're doing here you got to know, kind of understand their processes internally, and it's very important to understand the administrative state and their functions. And the fact that the administrative state is a court of record now for the new folks here, and I hope we got some new people here. For the new folks, we got two court. Well, actually, we got three. You got the state court system, which we're not talking about here. We're talking about the federal system, and there's two courts of record in the federal system. Now, most of you don't know this or the new people i'm sure and the first quarter record is the administrative state okay and the reason i say that we've had patriots try and go file suit uh in district court and the clerk of the court says well, i can't file this you haven't exhausted your administrative appeals so the administrative state has their own internal quarter record and they go up you can go and get an administrative hearing and exhaust, you know, in other words, if you're not satisfied with the agent that you're dealing with here, okay, on this, and you go back and say, what's the next step in my administrative appeal? Because you got to appeal stuff up through the administrative court of record state before you go over and get to the judiciary state. They're a court of record, too. And a record means just there's the court of record just means there's a record. So what's the record at the administrative state? It's your administrative file. See, that's why we concentrate on that so much, because that's their court record, and I'm going to explain to you why, okay, and why this is important, Frank, all right? Everything they send you, a copy of the, the letter they send you is in your administrative file. Anything they send you has got to be placed in your administrative file. Conversely, anything you send them has got to be put in your administrative file, too, and that's the angle we're attacking right there, okay? So... It, it, what you're doing is you're just getting a case built up in your administrative file. In other words, here's another way of looking at this. Uh, and some of you may not have heard of this. I used to do broadcasts with a very fine gentleman named Al Adisk. And uh, Al Adisk, when he got a letter from the IRS, he drafted back 
a really incredible letter to him, honestly, with 66 questions, very pointed questions, very well-researched, okay, as Al did. And um, he never heard from him again. Why not? All he did was send them 66 questions. He never heard from them again. Why not? Did they consent to his stance? Well, the important thing here is anything in your anything in the court of record on the administrative side, should you go to a judicial court, that has can be brought into evidence. And so they're not going to take you to court when you've sent them this list of questions that they refuse to answer. Because it just indicts them if they take you to court. So, in essence, you're stopping them in their tracks in the administrative process, okay? And so, when you send that draft, that letter, uh, well, let me go back to Shane. Shane, back when I first started, you know, I keep telling you guys this is a process, not an event. We're learning continually, okay, on how to deal with these bandits. And so, I got on the air and said, well, once you uh, get your master status switched, you ought to be able to uh, send it to the IRS and, and have them done with, which is what we do now. Okay. And so Shane, he jumped up and said, yeah, I'll do that. So he sent it in. And in essence, the letter you got, and I can't say totally cause I haven't read it. All right. Totally. But I could see from the first paragraph where they were going first sentence really. Okay. So what they're doing is they don't have any other resort and they're trying to come back and pull the only bag club out of their bag and hit you with it which is a five thousand dollar frivolous filing penalty did they assign that to you in that letter no they did not okay however well, they did use the terms frivolous okay yeah well um, well that's a i'm going to give you some background on this again okay frivolous filing penalty is something that we experienced i got three of them but they were only five hundred dollars back then in 30 years ago now they're five thousand dollars so what does that tell you uh, immediately intimidation they're, they're concerned yeah they, they want to intimidate more right well and that's why i have y'all put on the cover letter to the irs not to be considered a filing so it takes that out of the picture from the start and i don't know you said i think it said you'd sent them your notice back in february february something seemed like yes okay yep. so all right that's what six eight months okay and uh so uh they are now starting to come back and threaten you so they didn't assign you a five thousand dollar penalty they just threatened it they well they didn't even threaten it so um because I guess my two concerns about this are, if I ignore this, mm -mm. does that mean no, that no. I... No, you're, you're not going to do that. I'm not going to ignore it, correct. However, in the second paragraph, my, my concern is, is if I respond to this, it says, if you persist in sending frivolous correspondence, we will blah, 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 blah. So okay. my concern is, threat, is if I reply back, is that more, considered frivolous? More threats, more intimidation, more let's see if we can cower this guy in the corner. Okay, here's you always want to respond to their correspondence because they've got to put it in your administrative file. Yes, I agree. Okay, so that's what stops them right there because they can't move forward when that kind of stuff's in your administrative file. They certainly can't take you to court on failure to file. Okay, now, uh, uh, and if they come after you civilly, you've got you can take them to court now 
and you know lien levy garnishment seizure you can take them to court now and you've got that in your file and it has to be admitted into evidence because it's in your administrative file see that's what's stopping them right there okay yep so what you um, want to do and you don't have to do it tomorrow but it'd be nice probably good to do it in a relatively short amount of time even though they took eight months to send you that is to take however that shane letter applies to you because there's some real good stuff in there okay now it does have to deal with a five thousand dollar frivolous filing penalty assigned to shane but you can remove that stuff and use and pick what you want it it says you know the stuff says it cannot be waived unilaterally and then blah blah except by uh, uh, operational law and that's in the there somewhere even though i hadn't read it okay and so you need to draft that letter back to them pick and choose out of there and just send it to them and i, I don't I, you'll never hear from them again yes and a, a couple of questions comments uh, the first one with respect to shane's letter that you drafted is this the one that in your past programs you kind of use the terms uh paraphrasing you i wrote them a letter that would burn the retinas that, on their eyeballs that, this is this the one that would be the one <laughs> Okay. Okay. I just I want to I want to make sure because I I got it yesterday and it was kind of late and I kind of just took a breath, scanned it and didn't get quite into it because my anxiety kind of diminished throughout the day. Right. Um. And 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 so um I'm gonna I'll I'll get something going but I'm just gonna kind of just take a breath first before I yeah. do it. Yeah. And you should. The, the other. Yes. Uh, the other thing regarding the letter that they sent to me. There's just two other comments that I want to make. The first one is, is when I noticed the RERS, I sent them two letters, registered return mail, all that, the same exact wording to do two different places. I sent it to the one in Washington, D.C., and since I send my tax returns to Utah, I sent the same exact letter there. So they went out both on the same day, and I noticed that Shane's letter was addressed to Utah. The letter that I got yesterday was from their Utah office. Now, that could probably be just a coincidence. No, 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 it's not. It's not. The big service center from the IRS that services most of the West is in Ogden, Utah. Okay. And uh, that's the same place Shane's letter come out came out of. So you just it, it, it draft something, as I said, and I'll work with you on it if you want before you send it. And, yep, uh, yep. and, and you want to send it to them. You do not want to use registered. Okay, and all of our people think for some reason if they use registered, it's – what it does is it costs you more and it takes longer, all right? That's only for things with intrinsic value. The certified green thing is what we use. The red thing, I used to work for Pitney Bowes. Pitney Blows, as I affectionately refer to them as. And uh, the registered thing, we got Jeff on here. He used to be a clerk. He used to deal with this. A registered is intrinsic value only. It doesn't have to be only, but mainly that's what you're paying. All the gold and silver dealers use registered mail to send you your goods. Okay, and the reason for that is because that has to be that package has to be signed for by every employee that touches it. Because it's I may have used the wrong term. I the, the green cards, the okay, light green. Right, and the that's dark certified. Card. This is registered. Yep, okay. You don't have to use registered. Some of our people do, and it just I just marvel at how you know at our folks at times. You do not need to use registered if you're sending bearer bonds, gold, silver, stock shares, anything else. You want to use registered, but if you're not, you want to use certified. 
okay right and i've got jeff on here he's a retired postal employee and he'll verify all that if we need him to okay so let's go back to the shane story um then uh when i first mentioned this shane sent that letter in and the response he got and we've never seen another one until now for whatever that's worth and they came out of the same service center and yes. so when what I learned when I was actively engaged with these bandits was that you don't want to reply immediately because just like you said, you you get upset, you get that at the mail, you don't know what it is, you want to get inside and you want to open it, but you don't want to open it, right? And uh, so uh, it, people, and I used to have a tendency, I'd read it and sit down and fire them off a reply immediately. And then uh, a day or two later, I said, damn, I wish I'd have put that in there, you know? So what I've learned over the time is it's best to let the dust settle a little bit. The only time I know you've got a time frame on that, and it probably wouldn't do any good, it might temporarily, is when you get one of those, we haven't received your tax returns for the year 19 so-so. If you've already sent these in, disregard this notice. Otherwise, we might ask you to bring in books and letters. Now, this was John's thinking. I'm teaching what John taught us because I've never seen him be wrong. Okay. And that is a commercial document. You can go look it up. It's in specialty contracts in the Uniform Commercial Code, and it's called a confirmatory writing. Okay. And a confirmatory writing is enough. This is the reason these guys use the merchant law, because they know all these twists and turns. They've been dealing with it since Babylon. Okay. And so this is a reverse contract, like the silent contract that runs generationally in the feudal system. I mean, that's a highly unusual contract. I don't think there's any others like that that run generationally silently. Okay, And this has a lot of those characteristics. It's called a confirmatory writing, and it is a contract that you have to disagree with, and if you don't respond within 10 days, it's considered accepted. Now, I have vague memories of when I was a child And I think as they really pulled the UCC in that some of these merchants started using this. And I think they stopped it, okay? But it seems like to me in my memory that there was a time in the 50s when people would receive a confirmatory writing. You know, would you like to get this green dotted umpty-umpt? And you go, I don't want a green dotted umpty-umpt, and you show it, throw it in the mail. And, you know, about a month later, here comes a green dotted umpty-umpt in your mailbox, and that's a confirmatory writing, okay? So the if I remember the verbiage right, it's a writing um, between merchants where the merchants are deemed to know the contents of the writing, and if you do not expressly deny it within 10 days, it's considered you've accepted it. Okay, now that's a confirmatory writing John believed and I believe, and uh, uh, that they get you into if you got a failure to file. Okay, because we know now it's a voluntary system. All right, it is voluntary. You had a guy get up in front of Congress back, I don't remember, in the 50s or something, and they asked him, said the income tax is a 100% voluntary tax, and the ATF tax is a 100% mandatory tax. Okay, so uh, anyway, that's uh, at that point, that's what I think that is. This is not that, but because we understand their procedure, you want to give them an additional follow up and say, you received my notice here. That site from 1835 is in there. Okay. 
and it, 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 whatever's in the possession of the secretary is considered to be the higher and better evidence in a court of law. So that cites in there whatever the verbiage is around it, and you, you want to pick and choose. So it's not a $5,000 frivolous filing penalty, so you don't want to get that verbiage in there. Okay. Right. Uh, but uh, you you want to sculpt something and get it back to them so it goes in your administrative file and they don't go. Oh, we told this guy we're going to take the next step and go after him. Okay. So what you're doing is kind of cutting them off at the pass. And I doubt when you send them a reply that you'll ever hear from them again because Shane's never heard from them. Hell, we hadn't heard from Shane and you know since Old Blue was a pup. But I guess he's still around out there. But um, anyway, that's kind of where it is at this point from what I know and understand, Frank. I don't think there's anything extraordinary. I think that they're trying to come back and test to see who knows their stuff. So the question is, what do you think Anna Von Wright's and David Strait students do here? Just like with the Buff letters, see, they don't teach them law, and I don't know if they'd know how to respond to it, and if they don't know how to respond to it accurately, they don't respond to it, and then the letter bluff from from them stands because you didn't respond to it. I know what they do. They go to jail. Okay, could be. Don't know. I feel sorry. I've, you know, I've, I had another gal from North Carolina last night. I mean, uh, I'm going to take this to the assembly and, you know, all that language. I said, please get that out of your lexicon. I mean, these people don't know the system of law they're fighting. They don't even know the system of law that's being used against them. All right. And they don't know the, the, the legal background and the concept behind the meaning of the word person, something that basic. People that are, unfortunately, that stumble into that, uh, uh, you know, to me, are going to a gunfight unarmed. You know, really. But it may work. I don't know. Uh, anyway, I concentrate on what we do here and uh, try and get you guys as educated as possible. And part of the reason is because when this thing falls, and it's fallen, you can see it falling already, okay, we're going to have to rebuild. And you can't rebuild without knowing the holes and the loopholes they drove this son of a bitch through and understanding the correct building blocks that need to be put in as a foundation in the rebuilding. And and our knowledge is the most cutting edge out there in our whole community, okay? And that's why I insist on you guys educating yourself and learning the information. Not only that, it re-empowers you. It's the way you get your confidence. You're getting back the information and being re-empowered with the powers that God meant to give you at birth that were stolen from you when Esau Edom stole his birthright back here. Okay, and then condition your whole life. Well, you haven't had access to those, and you haven't known and had a connection to them. Now you do, and the way that you start regrowing that re-empowerment process is by learning this information. And I mean, learning it. I, I know you're not going to know it as well as I do. I've been messing with it for thirty years. Okay, but you will learn it, and you will grow. It takes time. It's a process. You didn't get where we are overnight. We're not going to get away from it overnight. But we got a plan, and and we got a track to run on. And this is the key important part. Not only does it give us information to rebuild in the future, not only does it start your re-empowerment, but now you can go out and start teaching others too and help spread. Okay, so there, as I've said on here numerous times, 
there's a method to my madness here. I don't just pull this stuff out of my sphincter muscle, okay? I put 30 years of thought as we started this project. I had to think it through, and, and I never tell anybody to do this because I understand now better than ever that this is a voluntary thing. You got to volunteer into this. You got to want to have it. Okay. And, and if you do that, part of the requirement, at least from my, uh, uh, my perspective is you got to learn the information, uh, what we've learned to come to understand and you'll get people like Jeff and Dual and, and, and Daryl and these other people's agree with you, your re-empowerment and everything that's good happening to you comes from knowing the information. Not just the surface, but digging down and understanding it. And the more of those minutia points, after you get the surface and the conceptual understanding, then you can go back on different points and dig down into the minutia. But I'm constantly getting people that send me the minutia, and they they have obviously they haven't learned the basics. Because if you learn the conceptual side, you can pretty well figure out any of that stuff because you know the whole general concept. Okay. So uh, there's a method to my madness. I, 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 if I could grab you and shake you, I'd insist that you learn the damn information. Now it's not as critical before you file an affidavit because you can get the scope of this pretty easy. We've broken it down, uh, you know, Jim Crow, et cetera, et cetera, where it's very simple to understand, folks. You cannot imagine what it was like looking at this beast 15 years ago, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, when you didn't have all that basic understanding. Okay, and it was real difficult. All right. So anyway, uh, method to the madness. Frank, draft them something here in a few days. I'll look over it if you want, and uh, and get it in the mail to them. Probably you know ten days, two weeks, something like that. Okay. So the 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 whole thing of needing to get something back to them within ten days. No, that's only for confirmatory writing. Okay, okay, and this is not that, okay. No. Very good. Oh, just one last comment that I found amusing on this. I know you just scanned this, but on the last paragraph of the first page, I, I just wonder why this is being put in there if they're, uh, uh, because they may be getting a lot of these letters. The, oh, they're, the, get, they're getting a lot of them. That's why they're doing stuff like this right here. Well, the one paragraph starts out, it says, there are people who encourage others to violate our nation's tax laws by arguing there is no legal requirement for them to file income tax returns or pay taxes. Their re arguments are based on legal statements, blah, 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 and it goes into this whole litany. And I'm just wondering if they put that paragraph in there because they're receiving a bunch of this. That well, was they're, the they've always that came to mind. Well, they've <laughs> always gotten people kicking back at them, but nobody's ever had the master key. And the master key is one 26 CFR 1.1-1A and that's their jurisdictional statement and it's And real. they did not quote that in uh, this at of all. Of course not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and we're going to quote that in your reply to them. Okay? Yes, yes. And and so uh you know they got no leg to stand on all they are is a bunch of international thugs, all right? So anyway, it would be, it would be I'm sorry, yeah, it would be interesting on the I don't know if you have a copy of this, or and if you do, if you're willing to part with it. Do you have a copy of uh, of Shane's letter when you worked with him on this? And I'd be curious to see how much of that letter 
four years ago is the same as this one. I don't know if you have a no. I, I wouldn't know where to find it or anything else. Gotcha. But it was it was basically the same, except they levied a five thousand dollar frivolous filing penalty on him. See, and now right. we've adjusted to that move by putting that statement on at the top of your notice letter. Do you remember if when you sent them the notice that your affidavit was filed, if you had that on the cover letter? Do you remember? Oh, absolutely. I'm okay. looking at a cover. Okay. That's well, that yeah, right I'm going to tell you top. what. That's why you didn't get a five thousand dollar frivolous filing penalty in that letter yep yep okay so, very good roger i'll stand by and listen i appreciate your time okay, well, let and me go uh, right back i'm gonna go back to the confirmatory yep. writing for a minute uh because i had a guy that wanted to challenge me on that here i don't know a couple of months ago and he goes i disagree with you on the confirmatory writing and he lists a couple of sections of the ucc and stuff and the ucc if you've never delved into it is incredibly incredibly confusing and difficult to deal with all right and uh so anyway i wrote him back i said hey man i'm teaching what my teacher taught me i never i've never seen him wrong in any anything in all these years okay and so i said if you've got a better idea of how they get you into contractual nexus at the front end of a voluntary system i'd love to hear it well of course i've never heard from him again okay can can you okay you use it a couple times now confirmatory writing That's, break it down in the layman okay. term I, I just did a minute ago but you didn't identify it a confirmatory writing in the ucc all right let's see if i can step back everything's on contract this is the babylonian merchant code we're dealing with and what if you go back and i'll give this for the especially for the newer people if you want a really solid foundation uh, this is one of those big areas that you really need to get your arms around, okay, is the, is the UCC. And its origin, it was originally called the Babylonian Merchant Code. For thousands of years, it's been referred to as the Law Merchant or the Law of Merchants, the Law Merchants, what they call it. And they did change the label, and now it's the UCC, Uniform Commercial Code. In there, there's a, a clause that says anything not covered by this title reverts back to the law merchant. So there's no question what body of law we're dealing with. All right, And that all revolves around contracts. Um, if you want, want to get a good found, foundation here over on SovereignToServe.com, SovereignToServe.com is my other website. It hasn't been updated in years, but it's got some very key information on there. And over, I got it's got a picture of me here in Ecuador standing in front of what they call the middle of the world. And if you don't know, it's standing in front of a post there, and that's the only spot on land on the face of the earth where your GPS reads all zeros. It's about ten miles. I saw away. that. It's about That's, that was a neat picture. Yeah, it's a very neat cool picture. thing. And what the what it is is if you look at the globe and you got the equator, and then it's as if from the poles you took and split an orange into quarters. Well, those are forces that run down and, and connect. And where those forces cross the equator is where your GPS will run read all zeros. But the other three are over water. This is the only one on the on the earth that's on land, and it's pretty cool. You know, um, so anyway, off to the right over there, um, there's a list of resources and there's set on, I mean, you should avail yourself all of them. Really. There's some really important stuff there, but the one I'm going to refer to right here is a book that was published in the thirties by John Hopkins university. And the title of it is historical jurisprudence, 
historical jurisprudence. And you want to go over there. Ella, this is something you should do. You want to go over there, and you want to get that book. You can download it, and you want to read the first 90 pages. It's not difficult reading, okay? And the first 90 pages. What was it, what was it called? Historical Jurisprudence. Okay, and the first 90 pages deal with the Babylonian merchant code. All right, and all of this kind of stuff. Well, it's all based on contracts. There's some real gems of information in there. All right, I, I won't go into it. I could go into some specifics, but uh, regardless, it'll give you a real foundation on the on the Babylonian merchant code. Well, one of the things it says in there is Babylon's great. Con- I think it starts with this. Babylon's great contribution to the world was they reduced everything in the society down to the abstract form of contract. So this is where it came from. Okay, Now, it was earlier than that, Babylonian Merchant Code. They think it was in Samaria, and it was just perfected in Babylon. But Babylon was the great merchant center of the world. Okay, And so... In that, they talk about, in those days, we didn't have things like uh, uh, penalty perjury oath, jurats. They didn't have those. So when you signed a contract in Babylon, as you were signing your contract, the priests came out and said an incantation over your signature to bind you to the oath. Also, the priests in the early markets, the priests set the prices. The priests became the bankers. Get it? This is where all that came from. Okay. So it's instructive for you. There's a lot of neat little things in there that'll show you. I'll, I'll go into one here. You guys want teaching stuff. Um, in there, in Babylon, it'll vary. You know how all our people are admiralty law, admiralty law? I'm yeah, I wanted, you to, I wanted you to speak of the difference. That's awesome. That was exactly the question I wanted you to Well, I, I, I'm reading your mind, Daniel. And so, <laughs> and so in Babylon, if you had a trade caravan... You signed a contract and borrowed money to finance the caravan. If it was over water and you didn't come back, it was considered an act of God. But if it was over land, they made you pay off the debt. Your family, even if you didn't come back. So even in the Babylonian Merchant Code, they had a differentiation between water and land, but it was still the Babylonian Merchant Code. Got it? Can you speak on how trouble, much trouble you can get in by trying to defend yourself with Admiralty Law instead of Merchant Law? Well, well, you don't know what you're, you're, going, to, you're going to a gunfight unarmed. You don't know what you're dealing with is what you're saying. Well, you know, go back and this is, I'm so grateful for John because I, he taught this stuff. We've got a, I've still got it. I've got a piece of paper. I mentioned it just the other day. I got two pieces of paper and what he did was went through and he listed every body of law in the world. And then they had the body of law. They had the what they call the presiding officer. They had what the actions were termed. And then they had a, a, a column for remedies. Okay, remember our R plus D equals R formula? That's so key to all this. Okay, for the new people, 
everything in the world runs under this formula. R plus D equals R. It's not difficult to remember. It's not difficult to understand, really. It's a lot simpler than E equals MC squared. Okay, R plus D equals R. And what that for, stands for is rights plus duties. There's a plus sign. Rights plus duties equal remedies. Well, if you know even basic math, the right side of the equal sign's got to equal what the left sign does, or it wouldn't be an equal sign. Is that right, Daniel? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. So on the left, you got two entities, an R plus a D, and over on the other equal side, you got an R. So remedies equal rights and duties. Now, we got into this discussion yesterday briefly with Brent, and Brent is an attorney. He's very well studied. He's very knowledgeable and all that stuff. And so Brent would say a right and a duty are the same. I heard Edwin Vieira on rents a couple of weeks ago. Edwin Vieira's got two or three Harvard PhDs. He's written a lot of books. He's, you know, very, very knowledgeable and studied. And he made the comment on rents that kind of, well, I found it intriguing because I understand this stuff a lot better than you guys that are new to it. And he said, a right arises out of a duty. Brent says they're the same. Vieira says the right arises out of the duty. And I teach that they're correlative with the plus sign in there okay now again there's a method to my madness here it's easier for a new student to understand that they're correlative than it is that they're the same or that they arise from a duty and you guys like ella and others are getting hit with an awful lot of really high power legal concepts here okay and i want to present it to you as simply as i can present it to you and think that you can uptake it later on you get a little more well grounded in this you want to go play with right and duty are the same or right arise out of a duty that's fine with me but for right now let's teach this correlative way so you guys can understand it you don't receive a right without owing a correlative duty that's what that plus sign means Okay. Can you break down the word correlated? I mean, well, I the, you know, uh, you send it back. Word. Well, they're equal. You know, you can't have you, uh, you can't have one without the other. You can't have a right without a correlative duty. They're okay? equal, but they're not. Uh, I've got a right to life, and my duty is I don't go out and take other people's lives. If I right. do, I've harmed them, and it's a crime. We're talking common law here. Okay. So does that make sense? Anybody confused on that point? guess not okay so let's go back to our little formula here r plus d equals r so in this this is why it's so critical and this is what anna anna's and david's students have no idea of you know i've got a litmus test question if i'm talking to other patriot legal researchers and i want to get this out of the way early because i'm i don't I, I i've gotten into arguments and wasted my time with these people you know, oh, social security numbers, the nexus. No, we're admiralty law. Well, you can't talk sense to those people, okay? You, 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 they're not ready to listen. They've already got an opinion, and their opinion's wrong, all right? And how do you determine that by that formula? So from where you get your rights and to whom you owe your duties determines what legal person you are. So my litmus test to patriots for 30 years in the U.S., I dealt with them in a few years, 
is can you give me the I, I constantly talk about this on here okay give me the concept behind the legal meaning of the word person every researcher in the u.s i ever asked all had the same response and it's wrong it's a corporate fiction have you ever heard that before oh a person's a corporate fiction all the time okay well it is a person can be a corporation hey let me you know, i remember when i was taking business law years ago in college and they go a corporation can do anything a person can do so they automatically impute person to corporation and it's got all capital letters and that must signify your corporation shouldn't it shouldn't it seems like it okay well where are your damn bylaws corporations yeah. have to be incorporated and they got to produce before the incorporation set of bylaws where's your bylaws Well, needless to say, every one of them are wrong, okay? A person is an entity to whom the law ascribes or gives rights and duties. I'm going to repeat it again. An entity to whom the law ascribes rights and duties. Why is that word entity so key? Because it's not just a corporation. It can be. It can be a, diff a whole bunch of different types of corporations or persons, but that doesn't mean that you're a corporation in the 14th Amendment, all persons born are naturalized. So if you are that, let's take that, all persons born are naturalized, 14th Amendment. Is that talking about everybody? All persons born are naturalized, is that talking about everybody? Seems no. Like it. no, it yeah. seems like it, but it's not. It's talking about legal persons. So how do you determine if you're a legal person under the 14th Amendment if you got civil rights? If you got civil rights, those are the rights you're receiving, and your duty is to may, uh, obey all the administrative state's regulations. So if you don't get your rights from the 14th Amendment, doesn't mean you're not a person. When we file an affidavit, you're still a person. You just get your rights from God, and you owe your duties to God. So that's the legal person you are. So it's not are you a person, it's which person are you. If you receive your rights from admiralty and the captain out on the high seas, you owe him your duties, and you're in admiralty law. So, Roger. All right, hold on. Hold on. My ear, my ear thing fell out. Uh, we had two people. I'm going to defer to Ella, I think. Was that you, Ella? Yeah, just um, uh, and that correlates to common law. Well, yeah, and it's just like I was saying; it, it gets deeper. Okay, yeah. so if you receive well, your residence yeah. is where you are dwelling to, re to receive your rights and discharge your duties. That's from Black's F Law Dictionary Number One. Okay, so if you're under the common law and you file an affidavit, you now get God-given rights, don't you? And you owe God your duties, yeah. don't you? Yeah. So where's your residency? Correct. Where's your residency, Ella? In heaven. Correct. In heaven. Technically correct. Okay. So, well, Roger, now, this, you, uh, hold on. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, uh, Quest, go ahead. Whoever's going to ask. This is John. This hey, is John. Hey, Wisconsin, John. Yeah. Um, the definition of person that she gave us as an entity to whom the law prescribes rights no, and duties. Us, us scribes, not us prescribes. Scribes. 
Okay, very good. That's that made that I think that answered my question. Okay. Now, let's go uh, on and and see this is applicable. Now, who are we in that person? Who are we as as an individual? They always use the word individual in law to mean human persons. And the reason for that is because the rights and the duties are contained in the same entity and they're indivisible and indivisible is the root word of the word individual so a corporation it doesn't a corporation can do everything a person can do but you can't go throw a corporation in jail can you no you can find it you can find it, but you can't throw it in jail. So the duties no and the rights, the, the, the duties and the rights in a corporate entity are different. Now, supposedly in law, if that whatever the corporation does that's heinous, you can pierce the corporate veil. Have you ever heard that term? You can pierce the mm-hmm. corporate veil, and then who's got the duties? The board of directors, and you can throw their sorry asses in jail. But the rights and the duties are not in the same entity. That's why you're referred to as an individual, because you got both the rights and duties within the entity, and they're indivisible. So that that makes, that really sums it up. So basically a person, like you said, an entity to whom the law ascribes rights and duties. So if we, if you recognize, and like I said, we've done the process of becoming an, or acknowledging that we're a national, then our rights come from God, Therefore, our duty is to serve him. Correct. Well, you owe okay. your duties to him. Correct. Okay. Gotcha. And, and what was that thing that you always said about the 14th Amendment? I'm not a 14th Amendment, and therefore I don't owe no correlative I receive, duty. All right, and the, and the, this is your answer, you know. I, I receive no civil rights from the federal government in the 14th Amendment. Therefore, I owe no correlative duties. I'm an old state citizen you've mislabeled as a national, and I'm over under the common law and constitutional protections, and I get my rights and owe my duties to the big guy. So go pound sand, asshole Democrat. Okay, now let's carry that out. Can I just comment on that for a sec? Sure. (laughs) So if you are not, uh, if if your duties and rights aren't under God, then you are ready to be a split personality in many splits. In other words, my lawyer, my doctor, my pastor, my governor, my, you know, all that stuff. And so then we don't even have our sovereignty that, and I mean sovereignty, not in their word, but in ours, like God is sovereign and he made us sovereign. Well, if you're, you know, if you're not under the common law, you're under some other type of law. If you're out with a, 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 a ship on the sea, the captain's the God. Okay, and I'm going to get to remedies in a second. I haven't got there yet. It's critically important to understand. Okay, but let's say that one of those bodies of law is ecclesiastical law. That's the old Catholic Church's law. Okay, so if you're under that, then you owe your duties to that body of law. And see, here's the thing: each one of these bodies of law, the the magistrate or the chief of official official, is called a different. He may be called a judge in common law. He may be called a chancellor down in in, in ecclesiastical law or, or equity law. He may be called something different, captain out on the high seas. Okay. And then in the middle of those columns are the actions. Well, you know, common law's only got eight actions. Debt, 
detinue there's i don't don't know the names i keep trying to get brent to go over that um but there's only and there's sub actions to those but there's only eight actions where down here in another body of law the actions are different in in uh, mercantile is boy i get that mixed up maritime law in maritime law the only action that's the other admiralty maritime is what we're under according to these folks right yep Okay. Well, in maritime law, the only action is called a bill of libel. You see any bills of libel floating around the court? Nope. Well, I guess it can't be maritime law then, can it? You see how simple this is? But you got to understand the underlying basics. When you understand the basics, it's easy as hell to figure this stuff out. But our people have never been taught the basics because the lawyers have not been taught it in law school in almost 100 years. Kind of like building a foundation on sand. Exactly. You know, I, 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 I liken it to, remember back in the Old West when the Indian scouts would sneak up on the hill and look over and see the cavalry underneath? And then they'd turn around and back out with a brush, and they'd cover up their tracks. And that's exactly what these bastards are doing here. Okay. Hey, Roger. And the reason our of- attorneys don't know any of this stuff, with rare exceptions, they're never taught even the basic concept behind the word person in law school. Now, John, what were you going to say? Attorneys are taught presentation. Yeah, they're, not, taught, not- they're taught procedure. Right, and presentation. Yeah. Present themselves a certain Same. way, but not content. Okay, John, it's what were you going to say? Yeah, I was just going to say, similar similar brainwashing that goes on in medical school. They're caught prescription procedure, but they know nothing about the human yeah, body. You I get mean, a they, symptom, you... They might get, in, in eight, what, four years of medical school, they might get one hour on natural supplements. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, okay. and yeah you're exactly right. You're exactly so, right. But anyway... What I was going to say, I kind of put together my thing as we were talking here, and it's not this, exactly the same as I recall you when you usually give the whole... The whole phraseology but i just want to get your take on this and i might have a question or two but I, I just put a person an entity to whom the law ascribes rights and duties as i am a national i am not a 14th amendment citizen therefore i receive no rights therefrom, and as such i owe no correlative duty bingo okay now, now, anything, now, like to, uh, okay I, you got it written down do you have it internalized you understand i do I, ab- I absolutely do but i want to be able to verbalize it i do i, I okay. totally understand that 100 percent. now it's it really clicked and resonated with me this morning and here's a guy uh, we, john we that's done a lot of research in this area before he found us okay and now you're getting all that crap cleared up aren't you Mm-hmm. and i'm getting chills too um but yeah no this is awesome so what i'd like to ask is let's say i'm before a uh, a judge or a magistrate oh, of some kind. Yep. Um, so I got a better story than that for you. Want me to tell my story, my Charlie Gray story yeah, go, again? Yeah. Okay. All right. Don't. We're going to get back to remedies here eventually. Okay. Because it's important too. Um, in Atlanta, we had. Uh, have y'all any of you, John? Have you ever heard of a guy named John Nelson? No, sir. He is a preeminent legal researcher in our movement. He hadn't popped his head up in a long time because he got death threats. They killed his sister. She was uh, she was an attorney in D.C. evidently. And uh, John Nelson is very very sharp. He he was a terrible teacher, but boy, he was a hell of a researcher. Okay, 
and uh, he had students. He had a group in Atlanta. I saw him speak a couple of times. That's how I know he's a terrible teacher. That's not a slight on John. He just that's his personality, you know. And uh, so one of them was a guy named Charlie Gray. And Charlie Gray owned some sort of a pretty big antique outfit down there, selling antiques. You know, Atlanta's real famous for antiques and Terra and all of that stuff. And so he got crossed with the IRS, and they came in, seized his business, and they got him for failure to file. By the way, the IRS agent's wife ended up getting a lot of those antiques, I was told. Surprise, surprise. And so they hit Charlie Gray with failure to file. And Charlie decided to defend himself, pro pro se, and uh, this in federal court now, okay, failure to file. Now, uh, that includes a jury trial because those are criminal charges. And it can't just be the civil side. It's got to be the criminal side, which is beyond a reasonable doubt, not just an overcoming of the evidence, okay? And so that entails going in front of a jury. This is why the IRS doesn't like to take people to the criminal stuff. They only use it when they know they got a slam dunk because should they lose that case, the egg is real big on their face. I mentioned one of the big cases that that happened to uh, the other day, Cheek versus U.S. You familiar with that case, John? Yes. Okay, for those who aren't, Cheek was a – I think he flew for United. I'm not sure which airline. He was a pilot. And they uh, got him for failure to file. It went all the way to the Supreme Court. And his defense, you know, the charge is willful failure to file. Not just failure to file, willful failure to file. And he put up what's called in the patriot community the willfulness defense. And that means, well, I looked and did all this study, and I couldn't find a law and stuff, so it wasn't willful. It was studied that it didn't file, and they ruled in his favor. Okay, and that's big egg on the face of the IRS because then a whole bunch of lawyers and patriots are starting to use the willfulness defense. Now they got to fight that. Okay, so anyway, uh, Charlie Gray gets charged with I don't know how many counts failure to file, but it was down there in that Richard B. Russell building in downtown Atlanta, the federal building, and a bunch of us went down to the trial to support Charlie and to see the trial too. I went down a couple of days, and there was, you know, there's always limited seating in a courtroom, and man, this place was packed, all right? And Charlie had done a really good job of subpoenaing people. He subpoenaed three friggin' federal judges and got them on the stand. One of them was a Jew, and I remember he said, do you take the cold Nidre oath? <laughs> and if y'all don't know about that, we can get into that in a minute, re-bring it up, and I'll tell you what that is. But anyway, uh, so he got three sitting justices, judges on the stand, and he also subpoenaed the district director of the IRS. And the story I'm going to tell you comes from that incident with the district director. So the courtroom's full, jury's impaneled on the side, judges up there presiding, and the district director of the IRS on the stand, and Charlie, as his own attorney, is questioning the IRS guy. And so he's one of these guys, you know, a little dorky old bureaucrat, and uh, he's got those half glasses on, John. You know what I'm talking about? Those like yeah. where, where somebody can lower their head and look over their glasses and give you that stern look, right? You look real serious and important. Right. Well, that's exactly this situation, okay? And so Charlie's asking him some question, and he reaches over and grabs 26 CFR, and I, I think it was like 6001 is the reg he was read, reading, and this goes back to our early discussion. All persons, yada, 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 yada. 
It's an open court. And he looks, bends his head down, he looks over his glasses, and he looks at Charlie Gray, who was a short, kind of portly little guy. And he looks at Charlie Gray. You could have heard a pin drop in the courtroom, okay? And he looks at him, and he goes, you look like a person to me. Yeah. (laughs) And Charlie did not know this stuff we're talking about here. And I, I think that may have been the moment that they decided to convict him. In all honesty, it was that dramatic a moment, okay? Hold now, on. Now, hold, hold on. Let me finish. Okay. Now, if Charlie would have had this information, the response to him would have been, Mr. District Director, a person is an entity to whom the law ascribes rights and duties. I re- receive no rights under the 14th Amendment that are called civil rights, and therefore I owe no correlative duties. How do you think it would have gone then? <laughs> Whose tongue would have been tied then? Okay. You see why this impor- this information is important to have command of? You're not going to get command of it here at one time here. you got to go back and do a little work. I don't charge you anything for this. Nothing. Your responsibility and what you put into this is the study you get in to learn this information. That's what I'm telling you. Okay. So, John, does that answer your question? No, no, absolutely. But one of my questions, I'll say in that instance specifically, because this ties into my question, and that's how you put it in a real lifetime scenario. Um, when I say I, as as such, I know because I'm, you know, not being a Fourteenth Amendment uh, citizen, I receive no rights therefrom. Therefore, I owe no correlative duty. The, the obviously, when we say certain sentences, uh, certain parts of that sentence are presumed. So. No correlative duty. To well, you're the presumption. Well, the presumption's out. You've already filed an affidavit. There ain't no more presumption. It's fact now. No, no, cor- absolutely. But just to be able to verbalize it and enforce it and and be able to explain it to somebody else. No correlative duty to who. I don't I don't know any income tax. I don't fall under any regulation except two in the IRS code by any of the more than 500 administrative agencies, because with the exception of Title 26 in the IRS code, the other 49 titles of the Code of Federal Regulations, they're jurisdictional statements, residents. Right. Okay. So does anybody have any questions on that? Just the the you you want to use this if you're like Frank addressing the IRS or you addressing some agency that's trying to ding you or whatever. You're not going to have this discussion with the cop on the side of the road. That's why you put all your local officials on notice. Because if you're going to have the discussion, you're going to have the discussion with the district attorney or the prosecuting attorney. Because he's going to understand it. The cop on the side of the road won't. And would you say, is it safe to say, I mean, just like judges go to judge school, district attorneys go to district attorney, they understand this? I don't know about that. In all honesty, I don't know their procedures. Maybe. Especially federal prosecutors. You know that they go in and groom them as much as they can. Right. Um, but they should, if they don't know it, they can easily, with their legal background, go verify it. Right. And don't don't all these, even the state courts, function 
as administrative courts in the in the civil side of things. Correct? Well, they you you got access to to common law through state courts, but they're going to operate under the presumption because every the presumption is everybody's a resident. Correct. Now you've dispelled that with your affidavit, and you sent them notice. See, uh, there's a method to the madness here, folks. If you're new and a lot of this is going over your head, and I understand that can happen, just stick with it, understand what you can, go back and work with it, okay? What's what's, easier to put together than the damn uh, uh, admiralty law stuff? You'll never figure it out. Well, I'm going to get, when I get to remedies, we're going to cover that, but I haven't got there yet. So, John, what's your comment? My my comment or question is, is, uh, when it comes to, uh, well, I said like these correlative, the correlative duties, like let's say, um, well, you know what? I, give me a second. I just lost my train of thought. Okay, well, don't complicate I'll, it. I'll yeah, you know, here, I don't receive any rights under the 14th Amendment. Therefore, I owe no correlative duties. What are the correlative duties under the 14th Amendment? Obeying all the regulations right. promulgated by the administrative state. Right. Oh, I don't okay. owe those don't anymore. Like I'm not a resident. Oh, sorry. That's not me. Right. Uh, this is what I wanted to ask. How do I verbalize or internalize the nexus to me being a national and being entitled to and under the umbrella of common law? That affidavit. Common law only. That affidavit. Oh, you're not only under common law. If you got Social Security and stuff, you're over there. You've contracted with them. That agrees with a government agency, uh, uh, health whatever it is, HHS or whatever. So, you see, we can selectively go in and still contract with them, but the master contract has changed. Correct, but I guess what I'm getting at is is in the resolution of any situation that's predicated on any contract, let's say there's a controversy within that contract and it therefore goes to court and you're entitled to common law, well, okay. not, no, you're 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 not you're you may be entitled to common law, but you're talking about contracts, something you've agreed to, and a contract has terms. Correct, and that that the terms are for both sides. Yes, and you agreed to them, or else it wouldn't be binding. If it wasn't binding, you wouldn't be in court. So you got to add here if there's a contract that you've entered into and agreed to, you got to add here to the to the requirements of the contract, the stipulations. But th- whether you're under common law makes no difference. Okay. Well, let's. Well, I mean, I, I don't know that. And again, I don't know if you know. I'm not saying I'm, I don't agree with you, but let's just take a foreclosure for example. Okay. There's a, a purported contract there that is predicated on fraud obviously number one well, well that's what you go to that, court on it doesn't have anything to do with your common law status they committed fraud and you and they on their side of the contract that's what you're disagreeing about not whether you're under common law or not well but there is a common law uh, uh a nexus or venue with respect to when you've got the court abusing you and i'll give you an example uh, I brought this up. Okay, go ahead. We're getting we're getting deep well, into the weeds here. I'm trying to cover the surface, and we bring all no, these hypotheticals in, and it confuses people, which is what I'm trying to avoid. But go sure. ahead. Well, what I'm get what I'm getting at is the court, and again, I wasn't a national up until this point, but the court had been violating 
two key, well, the, the main essence was my right to due process. Let's just put it that way, which nullifies in and of itself anything and makes the whole procedure, the whole court procedure void. But the court has okay, been now, are, to... You're, you're getting into the weeds on this contract shit, and there's a lot of fraud and murder and all that shit. Yeah, okay. It doesn't apply here, and it's going to do nothing but muddy the water, all right? All you right. were you were in that status. You signed the contract. Their deal was that they voided the contract because of fraud. But good luck getting their corrupt judges to recognize it because they understand it'll pull the bottom card out of the house cards. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, I and I don't. Know, I know you don't understand the the, the law, the foreclosure stuff. And all I don't want to understand it. I I got rid of, no, no. of owning a home because of all that shit. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I got these rotten scumbags. It's just getting them to follow the law because they don't have the note. That, you know, um, I was denied due process. The judge entered judgment without a hearing or anything total. And the law says, the, the, the statutory law, the uniform commercial code says they have to have the note. They're period. Crooks. And that's codified in They're every crooks. state. They're crooks. I know. As I told you guys, I had an old set of encyclopedias in my house that my Jewish roommate, his parents had given him, and he'd slept them around his whole life. And when he moved from my house, he left them with me. Okay, it was mm-hmm. a, uh, encyclopedias that were printed, I think, back in the 20s. Okay, And so I always go to two words in a, any kind of reference book, Jew and resident. All right. And I go to Jay and I pulled the Jay out and it's like 30 pages. I wish I'd have saved the, the book really or made copies and I didn't. Man, I read it. And the thing I, that sticks with me out of that is it said they were hated in Russia for stealing people's homes. Yeah. Okay. You can't change the spots on the leopard. All right. Your problem is not with this law. Your problems with the court system. No, I know. Okay. Uh, So let's get back on track here. All right. So we got the, the, on the, the bodies of law, seven or eight bodies of law, and you got the, whatever they call the presiding official. Then you got whatever the actions are. They're all different. Everybody law, everybody law is different. Okay. And then over on the right side, this is what you're talking about, Daniel, is they got that column that says remedies. Remember in our formula, r was equal to r plus d okay so you think remedies are important you know as i as i'm fond of saying in our community here of of patriot legal guys you hear a whole bunch of them talking about rights don't you don't you john you you do you ever hear them talking about duties never you ever hear them talking about remedies Never. Not. Okay. No. Well, they're all equally That's important. They're conditioned to do. Okay. Well, they just don't know this stuff. They're, they're, they're not teaching it in law school. The advantage yes. that I have had, the reason we've got this success is because John Benson studied the law his entire life, and he didn't study it in law school. He studied it out of old law books. He had a, One of his buddies was a captain, an airline captain, that had the London route. And if you got an international route, you, they always give you a day layover in the city, you know, you're flying to and back from. And so this captain would take his day off and go through old English bookstores and buy all these old English law books and bring them back to John. Where does this word person come from? I've mentioned it a couple of times. The origin of this is a guy named Gaius. 
that most of you have never heard of. G-A-I-U-S. Gaius was the guy in Rome that was attributed with the formation of the law. The legend is that he did that by putting marbles in his mouth and bending over a lake where he could see his reflection and talking to himself. Okay? And Gaius wrote a group of books called Gaius's Institutes. You can go look this up. I encourage you to do it. Gaius's Institutes and the whole first part of Gaius's Institutes deals exclusively with this concept of the legal concept behind the meaning of the word person. This is how far back it goes. And it's the very first thing covered in Gaius's Institutes. I'm going to ask the rhetorical question again. You think this might be important? They don't teach it in law school. Here, John. Roger, here's a, how long ago would that been? How long ago? Thousands of years. Okay. Okay. You can go back and find the reference. Look, look him up on Wikipedia and you get the exact dates. But uh, that's Gaius, okay? Now, and I was going somewhere and I, uh, um, I forgot. Okay, so let's go back to our remedies here. No, this is what I was going to tell you. I'm going to tell you another story. John. At some point in all of this, he used to tell us a story, so that's why I remember it. He got a hold. He's living in Salt Lake. He got a hold of one of the Utah law schools. I don't know which one. Probably Utah or Utah State would be my guess. Yes. And he calls up, and he gets to the dean of the law school. Okay? And he's telling He said, look, I'm thinking about coming to law school, and I just wanted to ask you if you, oh, we'd love to have you and all that stuff. And so John goes, I'm particularly interested in the word person. And the dean goes, oh, we teach that. Oh, you do? Yeah, we teach it in a course called jurisprudence. It's an elective course, and when somebody enough people sign up for it, we teach the course. John, being as astute as he was, said, when was the last time you taught it? Um, six years ago. Six graduating law school classes went through his law school and never got exposed to the legal concept behind the word person, which is virtually in every statute. You think that might be important? And which is virtually the essence of everything that's done in, in law. Well, all laws are written for persons, things, or actions, with the majority written for persons. If you don't know what a person is, you're going to be like all these other dumb idiots out there. So work with it. I'm giving you the foundation here. It's not difficult. It just takes a little time on your part to get it straight. An entity to whom the law ascribes rights and duties. If I receive my rights from admiralty law, I owe my duty to the captain. If I receive my rights from common law, I get them from God, and I owe God my rights. If I get them from this UCC over here, which is where we're going in a minute on this remedy thing, then I owe them the duties like the 14th Amendment. So if you go over on the right side of that paper in the remedy column, not only are all the actions different, all the remedies are different too. So what are the remedies we concentrate on here, folks? Self-help remedies. What are self-help remedies? Lean, levy, garnishment, and seizure. Those are only, in that whole list of all those bodies of law, the only place those remedies are available is in the law merchant 
we call it the UCC, and it was the law that was used on the manor in a thousand years of the feudal system. Those are the only two bodies of law where self-help remedies are applicable and used. So can we be under admiralty? Well, no, their remedies prize. That's the only remedy in admiralty. I kick your ass, I take your stuff. So can we be in admiralty law when they're using self-help remedies? No. So you get my gist? All you have to do is learn a couple of this, these simple concepts and work with them and get them in your mind, and you'll be able to cut through all that crap like shit through goose. So does that make sense to everybody? Yep. The bells are ringing. Ding, ding, ding. Okay. So these are the basics that I say learn and understand this. I can promise you, you're, you're not going to get it overnight. You're not going to get it here and at once here. But this is what I can promise you. And I can promise you this. If you'll internalize this stuff and get the working command of it, they can never fool you again. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Okay, good. Yes, um, it does. So it's, it's pretty simple stuff, but the problem is we our, our people have never been exposed to it for the most part. Okay? And again, all the success that I've had, I attribute to this stuff right here. And, man, I used to work with it, okay? I would go, when John would give those seminars, he he had a big, you know, not a whiteboard, but he'd always bring one of these huge pads of paper with big sheets, and he'd write this stuff up there, and then he'd fold over, and he'd do it on the next page, whatever his point was, and he'd fold that over. Well, at the end of the seminars, I went up and got those things. And I, I, I think I've still got them in Florida today, okay? I could go back through those uh, illustrations and remember what he told us in the seminars and study it. And that's how I got on top of this stuff because I was driven, man. I was driven like nothing hardly has ever driven me in my life except, a, you know, a female. And uh, so it was, uh, it was real important, and I, I stress it here because it's super important. If you really want to be adept at this, if you really want to be re-empowered, you want to totally be able to defend your position in, in a belligerent claimant manner, learn what we covered here. Mm -hmm. R plus D equals R. You can write it on the inside of your forehead, okay? Mm -hmm. Mm hmm yeah so it's, in, it, it's mm -hmm. a process it's a process and you got to learn if i could put it under your pillow and, yep. and put it in your brain with osmosis i'd do it but i can't okay <laughs> it's your freedom you're the one yeah. that's going to have to defend it you're the one that's going to have to put the effort into it again i don't charge yeah. any of you anything for this what i expect you to pay me is to learn the damn information and get a command of it yeah. okay then we're strong. Then we're a collective bunch of people that have that kind of basic knowledge, and they got to take off the mask at that point. Or else confine, confirm and confine within the, the parameters we're talking about. I'm a, I'm a national and not a citizen of the United States, and you got no jurisdiction on me, you clown.
You lie. By that time, but by, by that time they try to take off the mask. Well, it may be. Too, I mean, if they they no no. But, there's too many of us then. You well, that's I mean? exactly that's, right. That's why I'm trying to get numbers. Our strength and our security and our efficiency depend on numbers. That's why I want you to learn it so you can explain it to others. I thought you laid an egg just then. <laughs> yeah, I'm beating on the table. There, I got it. You know, somebody wee-weed my uh, Cheerios. Yeah, Microsoft, Microsoft wee-weed in my Cheerios this morning. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, so little by little it's sinking in but a lot of times i feel like that cop on the side of the road and you're talking to me roger well, but little by little it's sinking I, in. I, you just got to work with it frank i got no other answer for you you know yep I well, it's more it meaningful out. when I have a situation to come to you with, and then we discuss it. But I, I've got to kind of get beyond right. that and take it in, even if it doesn't affect uh, me directly. Again, that's the reason for this format, where we can get on here and have these discussions on these very complex and mostly unknown concepts that are unbelievably important. Mm-hmm. Okay. So just open for the rest of the folks on the call. Was there anybody else that had any confusion or questions about this that we've covered here in the first, what, hour and 20 minutes? I have a question. Of course, I got two or three wanting to talk at once. Ella, I'm going to take this guy right here first. I'm going to put you on the back. Go ahead. Hi. No, I just have a question. Um, What's your name? uh, What's your name? I'm Efren. Ephraim. Oh, Ephraim. Hey, man. Hey. hey. I've been a national since uh, November of last year or October, and I've, I've gone exempt, uh, not paying income tax, since probably April. And uh, not that I would do it, but I have to think about it. We have to consider all angles, right? Whether well, or not good, we're too. willing to take up, whether or not we're willing to take up a a fight that we may lose at the end, and even if we win, we'll lose, right? Because they take so much of your life energy from you, well, right? If, if you've never been in that, I promise you that's true. John will probably agree with me. Um, but a wise patriot told me one time years ago, he said, only fight the battles you know you can win. Okay, you can take so this that. is my question. All right. If, hypothetically, I were to resume contributing towards taxes – to to so that I don't accrue so much of of, of this potentially that I may need to pay later. What what do does you that get, affect my my national status? Why why are you going to have to pay later? You don't you, you you're not responsible for any taxes. What's this pay later hypothetical stuff? Well, say say they drag me to, through the coals. They're they're and and for some reason they they they're able to capture me, and and I'm liable. And, and they, they, they say I'm liable, even though I'm not Ephraim, I'm going to stop you right now on these hypotheticals where you guys string this shit out for days. Let's wait until they do something, then we'll discuss it, okay? I can't play what if. I'm not going to spend a bunch of times what if on something that very well will never happen. Roger? Yeah, is that okay, Ephraim? You understand what I'm telling you? Yes, but does that affect my my national status? No, if it one won't. Were to do that? No, if they were to take taxes out, no. technically you'd file a ten forty N R and you'd get them back. Right. Ten forty A. Uh huh. 
Okay. Now we can go into IRS in a minute. I've got a little wrinkle here that I don't know if any of you want to press the envelope, but it may be what we're doing is leveling the playing field when you file an affidavit. Okay. And the next step is, do you want to get offensive? Do you want to take the offense with them? And that's what this would be. And I don't know how they'd react quite frankly. Okay. So anyway, but mm-hmm. we can talk about it in a minute. I'm not going to get into that now. It's more complexity. Mm-hmm. So let's go deal with with Ella. I'm trying to simplify mm-hmm. things, not make them more complex. Thank so, you. So sorry, Thank Ephraim. You. I can't. Uh, it's hard for um, me to do what ifs on hypothetical situations. Yeah. Okay. Right. Go ahead. Is this Ella? Uh, yes. Hi. Uh, my name is Ella. I'm in Sacramento. Um, I, you're talking about IRS and, you know, I'm not in the what ifs, but this happened to me when I was a U.S. citizen that I didn't uh, pay my taxes and what they did is they went into my bank account, Roger, and put me in the red. Yeah. They garnish. It's called garnishment. They put me in the red for owing. Absolutely. So that's one of the scenarios that can happen to you if okay. you're a U.S. And if we citizen. were if we were under admiralty law, they couldn't do that. They just come grab it, but there's no process. You were involved in a process. Okay, they sent you that yes. letter. Yes. We have not received your tax returns for the years. What? 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 If you've already yes. okay, they sent you that. You didn't know it was a confirmatory writing. You threw it in the circular yes. round file, and ten days later, you were in a yes. contract. Yeah, I put it in my uh, Bermuda Triangle in my office. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's why so that happened. Since we're concentrating yeah. on IRS here today, let's, let's explain this to you. The IRS, this is their procedure. They get somebody like Ella, and she didn't file. Okay, so it's a failure to file deal, but they've got her in a contract now. So they reach a fork in the road where they've got to decide to go after you civilly or criminally. They don't take a whole bunch of criminal people down the criminal side. They only use that, for example, Lorena Helsley, Wesley Snipes. Uh, they tried it with uh, Cheek, and he beat them. But they only take that course when they know they can win. Well, they got somebody that tells them their admiralty law and crap, you know, and they want to use you as an example. You notice they only generally, it's not exclusive, but generally they take those high-profile cases like, remember Leona Helmsley? Nobody remember. Okay, Leona Helmsley was a, a, a big real estate magnate in New York, and obviously she crossed somebody's path that were wrong, and so they took her and slam dunked her on failure to file. Okay. And then they always come to those decisions somehow magically right before April 15th. It always happens right up preceding April 15th when the judgment comes out. And that's to scare the other sheep into filing. Okay. Hold on. Two of you. Two of you can't talk at once. Hold on. Who, who was that speaking right there? Who was that speaking? That was just a statement. I'm gonna. I yield my uh, time. Okay. The floor. Okay. The lady from California is recognized. Okay. So we get to a fork in the road, 
And they've got to make this decision whether they're going to go after you criminally or they're going to come after you civilly. Most of the time, they're going to come after you civilly, and that's self-help remedies. That's why they garnish your bank account. Now, I'll tell you a funny story. Years ago, there was a story. You know, IRS is not a government agency. So, therefore, they don't have their offices in government buildings. If you ever notice, IRS always rents uh, 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 their, their offices. Okay? And so, the IRS agent that's doing all this collection stuff, he's got a stack of files on his desk of these delinquent taxpayers. And his boss over there, you know, as, Jim, as Glenn said one time, they don't call him the commissioner for nothing. These guys get to take all this. Okay? And so the agent at the bottom level has this stack of files on his desk, and his manager wants that stack of files as low as possible. So what do the IRS agents do? They go through and find the low-hanging fruit. And the people that are more difficult for whatever reason either go back to the bottom of the file stack or else in this particular instance, these guys were renting an office somewhere with one of those ceilings that hangs down. You know, they stick wires in and put the frame in. They put those little styrofoam thingies in there. Drop ceilings. Drop ceilings. Drop ceilings. So this office had a drop ceiling in it. And one day the whole damn ceiling fell down because some IRS agents have been putting all these files up there and it got so damn heavy the thing caved in. <laughs> That's a true story, Okay. So that's what they do, Ellen. That's why you had that done to you. You didn't address it first, and they went ahead and made you penalized yeah. on the civil side by using self-help remedies. Okay, do we need to go into here, since you like these teaching stuff so much, and this is real important, do you, do you want to go into self-help remedies here and what they are? Sure. Okay. This is a group of remedies. They're called self-help remedies. And if, if you, you're first time you get that term thrown at you you don't know what it means okay but it means lean levy garnishment seizure those are all the four types of self-help remedies this comes from the merchant law this is what changed these remedies changed the law in rome from the just seville where they were under common law for 200 years basically to the just gensum, the law of the foreigner. This is the Roman civil code is an amalgam of those two types of laws that are separate. But you see, the problem we've got in the common law is we don't have all of these intricate financial things written into the common law. It's only in this merchant law where they've got all this fancy financial stuff. And that's another reason they get incorporated. Our common law people in England didn't have any kind of stuff to deal with all this financial stuff. And that's where they merged the two together. Okay. That's the over there. I mentioned earlier the references on sovereigntosurf.com. Okay. There's another one over there that you should, if you want to learn this stuff, read it. And it comes from the Georgetown Law Review, pretty prestigious law review from the 1970s. And it was written by a Jewess named Judith Shapiro. And the title of the article is How the Jewish Shetar Merchant Law Invaded the English Common Law. Well, there's the basis of our tax system right there, 1285. Okay. 
So anyway, these self-help remedies, it's where the remedy is written into the contract. You don't in a common law, if you got a dispute on a contract, you got to go over here with a very formal setting, a jury, you got to go through the hearing, you got to get docketed and wait, you go through it, they have come out with a judgment, the judgment has to be filed, then you can go get your remedy. But the merchant law takes all that out of the picture and it writes the remedy into the contract. Okay? Again, over in the UCC, it's in a specialty contract. There's a section of the UCC that says specialty contracts. This is there. Okay? And a, a specialty contract called a shetar or a – they write it into – uh, let me go back and without getting into the 1040 form, let's just use it in something that's not necessarily a 1040 form. They use the self-help remedies because we're under the UCC in every car and truck loan. You know, I heard the other day there's 15,000 cars being uh, repossessed a week now. 15,000. All right. How are they repossessing them? They go grab them, don't they? Does that sound like a self-help yeah. remedy to you when they come grab your car? Yeah, it is. No. It's called seizure. Lean, levy, garnishment, and seizure. Okay. okay. And so, I get that now. Okay, thank you. All right. When you go and sign your car, you go in, Ella, you go in to buy your rig, okay? And they go, well, Ella, you got uh, $250,000 cash or you want to finance this? I think I'll finance it right okay so now you sign a promissory note a contract i ella promise to pay fifty thousand dollars a month for the rest of my life for this truck (laughs) whatever it is okay yeah and so in that contract there's also a clause called a recognizance now that's a fancy legal word and it comes from the word recognize there's a recognizance And that means in that clause, it said, I agree that I'll abide by all the titles of the California state code as it comes to repossessing cars and trucks. And in the code of California, they say, well, if you miss more than two months, 60 days on the 61st day, they can come grab your car. The remedy is written into the contract. It recognizes all the state laws that deal with this. They don't have to go to court. Uh They've got the statutes behind them. It says you've one day late on your payment, so they come Mm -hmm. grab it. The contract is the remedy. The remedy is written into the contract. That's the important thing to understand here. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that. I understand. So I there, do. there's your self-help remedies: lien, levy, garnishment, and seizure. If it's a car loan, they're uh-huh. going to come grab the car. Why? Because the car's the collateral. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh-huh. If now let's take it over on the other side of the ledger. If it's a Jewish shetar, in England called a statute staple bond or contract, we call it a ten forty form. <laughs> Same thing. In the 1040 form, it's a Jewish shetar. Okay? It's got to have a recognizance in there, and the other requirement, it's got to be signed under seal. 
That's your penalty oh, of perjury. Right. That's why you could write, Frank, you could send the IRS a 1040. Okay, I owe you $5 billion. You can make the next installment payment to the Ukraine. And you send it in unsigned, they're going to send it back to you because it hadn't met the requirements of a, of, of a statute staple, Jurat, Jewish Shetar. Okay. And so those are the two requirements on a true Jewish shetar is you've got to have it. They've got to have a recognizance in there, and it's got to be signed under seal. Okay, Ella, students, what's the recognizance in a 1040? To sign it. No, that's the under seal. What's the recognizance? Remember, you're oh, recognizing another body of law. What's the recognizance in a in a 1040 form? Just by filing it? Well, no. There's a recognizance. There's verbiage attached to the 1040 yes. form that says, I agree to abide by all the terms and conditions of all Title those, 26 yes. Code of Federal Regulations. Yes. Okay. It's yeah. abiding to, yeah, their terms and conditions. Yeah, like all the regulations they promulgate. You agree to abide by them yeah. when you sign the 1040 form. So you got the recognizance in the 1040 form, right. and you've signed it under penalty of perjury. It's legitimate. Got it. Does that make sense to everybody? Yeah, it, for me, it does. It does. Okay, so now you get in a discussion, Daniel, with some of these other patriots, and they're going, oh, this admiralty law, oh, this maritime law. And Daniel comes back and says. It can't be admiralty or maritime law because they're using self-help remedies, and those are not available in that body of law. The only remedy in admiralty is prize. It's not. It's self-help, but I kicked your ass. Uh -huh. When they come grab your car, that's uh -huh. not prize. They went through a specific legal procedure to have the permission to do that. Uh -huh. Now, these remedies, these self-help remedies are so important, okay? They changed the law in Rome. And here's what happened. For the first 200 years of Rome, they were under a body of law called the Just Seville. J-U-S in, in Latin means law. The law of the civilian, or the law of the citizen. And that was based on what they, we know, we've never, they don't have any of them, but they, they know they were replete in the writings of that time. They ran Rome for the first 200 years on what they called the Ten Tablets, like the Ten Commandments. It wasn't what it was, but it was these 10 canons of law that they abided by for the first 200 years of Rome that was called the Just Seville. Now, as Rome grew as an empire and started taking in foreign lands, all the merchants of, say, Palestine, all the merchants of Palestine, well, they're under Roman control now. They want to go to Rome because that's where the center of the action of the empire is. When the merchants come to Rome, they bring this Babylonian merchant code with them with these self-help remedies. 
And so the Romans, who ordinarily have to go through a very, very long, drawn out, I got to file a motion. We got to have a court hearing. There's got to be a jury. There's got to be a decision. We got to take the decision and go file it. Now we can come get our remedy. But the merchants, they're out there with these health help remedies written in the contract, getting their remedies all day long. And the Roman citizens were jealous. They wanted an easy way to contract and achieve remedy. The person that was the attorney general of Rome was called the praetor. Remember, you've heard the term praetorian guards, who later on de decided who was going to be emperor of Rome was the praetorian guards. So the praetor is the attorney general, and he's responsible for the law. Now, Romans, even 2,000 more years ago, were smart enough to know how much power that position accumulated. <laughs> Excuse me. So the Romans were smart. They only let the praetor stay in office a year, and they changed praetors. And the way it worked was the praetor that was replacing the previous one, for the most part, recognized the whole body of law and procedures that the previous praetors had, had used. But over a 200-year period of pressure from Roman citizens wanting to achieve this easy way of remedy, the praetor changed and incorporated this foreign Babylonian merchant code into the Roman just Seville, and it made it the just gensum, or the law of the foreigner. So it cha these remedies change Rome, from body of law, from the law of the Roman citizen to the law of the foreigner, and incorporated these self-help remedies into it. So, under the color of law, that a Roman citizen was a foreign merchant, the Roman law changed. What's the Roman what body of law in our country is the Roman civil law today? The 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 United States Code. The United States Code is the Roman civil law because it's melding these two bodies of law together. That goes back to the foreign registration, too, back when they had in them days. Well, I don't know what bearing that has to do on this, but it, but anyway, I'm telling you a story of what happened, and I'm trying to emphasize to you how important understanding these self-help remedies are. They're critically mm -hmm, important for a lot of reasons, okay? And the effect, and this is the same thing, the Code of Bismarck, Code of Napoleon, the, the Roman Civil Law, all these things are the same of melding the merchant law in with the common law. But they were foreigners on mm -hmm. that land, correct? Correct. It was the Jewish but, merchant, you know, the foreign merchant. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They needed a they needed a registration number when you're. Well, I, I don't know. I don't know if they did that in Rome or not, James. And it's not. I, I I doubt it. I don't know. Okay. So anyway, uh, that's uh, mm -hmm. that that that's how they bled it in. Okay. Yeah. Now, the, to me, as I've thought about this and come to understand it over the years, I understand that this is the harbinger of tyranny. Because they come and use these self-help remedies on you, 
you don't understand this process mm-hmm. we've gone over for the last 25 minutes and you automatically impute all this power and authority to them that they don't have I, when i was teaching this early on i had a a, a gal in there a cute little old gal and she went through the process with us, and I got a call from her at 7 o'clock one morning, and she goes, Roger, Roger, they're stealing my car! She was terrorized. We didn't understand all this back then. All she knew was these guys were coming with a lot of authority and stole her vehicle. These are the forerunners of tyranny. Because they use them on you to intimidate you. You impute all this power to them. And now they got control. Roger. Critically important to understand. Yeah, Dan. I got, this is a, I just came up with this little thought. And so can you stand on land? Yeah, you could stand on land, right? It's firm. It's solid. Can you stand in 20 feet of water? No, probably. Yeah, yeah, if you want to drown. Well, you can't stand. You can't take your standing in water. <laughs> so, oh. <laughs> you get it? <laughs> yes, I get it. The audience might not. You're talking about a legal concept called standing, which means yeah. which means you got the ability to be in there and bring the case. A lot of times, that's the defense they'll use. The the the, the, the they have no standing. You well, where where was that used recently? A high profile, high 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 profile. Supreme Court. Supreme Court in the election. When Texas and the other states brought that case to the Supreme Court, they said Texas doesn't have standing. Hell, that's the only place Texas can go to adjudicate a case with another state. What do you mean they don't have standing? Another fiction. Okay. But you can't stand in water, and if you can stand in water, you're on a ship, and there's a guy called a captain who takes over all responsibility. He's the head guy. Now hold it. So Dan, you can't take standing in admiralty law is what I'm trying to get. Yeah, just forget admiralty law. That's just such you know, a but, but, but people I'm not I'm done with it. But people are still mixed in with it. Well, you know, try and straighten them out and if you can't let them go on to their ultimate demise cuz that's where they're going to end up. Okay. Now, who Hello? is the female that's trying to say something, please? Oh, this is Lauren in Pennsylvania. Lauren, oh, Lord of mercy, you, you sound like you're in China, not Pennsylvania. I know. Um, I wanted to share some information with some people who think they might be having issues with the IRS. And I learned a lot of this from Weiss and Associates on YouTube. And just type in W-E-I-S-S and Associates. And the one thing I really, really like about their presentations is they cite law. So you can screenshot it, go look it up, see if it really says what it says that they're saying it says. It's immeasurably good education about the Internal Revenue Code and who it applies to. There's also a document called the Galileo Paradigm, and you can find that at Fam Guardian. I'm pretty sure yeah. or um, the SEDM website. I yeah. learned a tremendous. Well, I got a really good hold on. How the how the IR code is constructed and how they apply it to you and the words they use to trick you. Yep. One of the things I learned, and it was either from one of those two sites, was the definition of willful failure to file. 
The IRS defines willful as someone who knows they have an obligation to file, but they choose not to. Correct. So once you have your affidavit submitted to the IRS, you have notified them that you do not have an obligation to file. So they can't levy something against you charging you with willful failure to file because you can, here's my affidavit, says, no, I know I do not have an obligation to file. So and you and you know your stuff, and you've got your affidavit in the possession of the Secretary of State, which means if they bring you into criminal procedure, because that's where they bring you for willful failure to file, you can bring this affidavit into that court proceeding, and it bypasses all the rules of evidence because it's in the possession of the Secretary. Right. And, and they'll never do it. From- they'll never allow you to bring this information into some court. Therefore, they will not prosecute you. Nope. And okay, now hold it, Lauren. I want to use you as an example. You know, I tell you folks, okay. make this information yours. Make this information yours. This gal right here is pretty easy to hear from what she's saying, has done it and gone far beyond that. Haven't you? I read everything I could get my hands on. Do you feel re-empowered, Lauren? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, and the reason is because how long you've been with us? Five, six, seven years? Oh, probably. Well, when you were on TFR, how long ago was that? Well, I'm (laughs) that's six or seven years at least. Yeah, Yeah. when you co-hosted for um, on Joyce's show. Yes. That goes back a while. Well, that's man, that's a that's a long time. Well, uh, did it did it yeah. happen overnight for you, Lauren? I'm going to answer oh, the question. God, no, no, it didn't. Well, I can tell. Well, I can share this with the audience as well. As I was reading through Roger's book, "From Sovereign to Surf: Government by the Treachery and Deception of Words," I was making notes to to ask Roger, ask Roger, ask Roger things that I needed clarification on. And then I heard him tell the story about a man who bought his book and read through it ten times. In two, thought, in two weeks. Yeah, and I thought, well, I guess if he read through it ten times, I should at least read through it one more time. And you know what happened? All my questions got answered. There you go. So I didn't have to bother Roger. So <laughs> I, I, always, I try and encourage people, if you're reading the book, Ella, go back and read the legal argument at least twice. Now, the story that Lauren is relating here is from a retired homicide detective in Naples, Florida, named Jim Prentice. Jim Ram knows him, too, okay? Interestingly enough, they met through a fellow cop. And uh, Jim Prentice was a homicide detective. He retired after 20 years. And he, it was when he was detectiving that he stumbled on all this stuff and the inconsistencies in the law. He told me, he said, because I used to say there's two sets of law books in a law library. There's three, I know now. But Jim got back to me with that. He said, you know, that's what I discovered when I was doing detective work. So there's two sets of laws in the law library. And that's kind of what started him on this stuff. And after he retired, he got hooked up with a – with a fabulous uh, 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 IRS researcher out of Oklahoma City named Dan Metter. 
Some him and his wife are both deceased now. They've been gone for a while. But Dan Metter was an excellent, excellent researcher, and he really concentrated on the administrative state and regulations and stuff. And he had teams of researchers of his students, and Jim Prentice was one of his research team leaders. Okay, and two weeks after the book was written, I got two emails in the same day. Okay, two weeks after not written, released. And the first one was from Jim Prentice. And he said, if I remember right, he said, Roger, your book's a masterpiece. I've read it 10 times in two weeks, and I got something different out of it every time. Pretty powerful. There's a lot in there. Okay. Yes, there is. Okay. That's what Ella's dealing with now. Okay. And so the other letter that day, the email that I received, was from a cup from a family i think in wisconsin john and they said we want you to know your book is on our family bookshelf next to the bible and you want to talk about you want to talk about humbling and i had some more information for ephraim as well it's funny Um, you you can hold on let lauren finish you can type in revocation of election, right. as John Kasarab has pointed out. When you file your first 1040, you are electing to become part of the U.S. Tax Club. Yes, because it's voluntary. Because it's, it's voluntary. Right. right. So when you file your revocation of election, you can't come back. They don't want you back. You're, and they're, they're very specific about that. And you can find... Um, a revocation of election at SEDM as well. It's a good, um, it's a good, well, I don't want to say form, but structure so you get an idea of what it is you're communicating. Of okay. course, you want to put it in your what, what Lauren's talking about is what John and Glenn built their whole deal on is this revocation of election. John's the one that found it in the regulations, and it basically says you can do a, if you've been misfiling, you can do a revocation of elections. You can file three years back taxes on 1040 NRs, and we'll give you all that three years' money back. Their regulations. Okay. And so the first few people, that's what they built their whole business on. They pay, they made us pay to go through this seminar and learn all this stuff. You guys aren't having to pay for it. I did. Okay. And so we'd pay them $1,500 to go through the weekend seminar. They'd help us file all these three years back returns. And then they got a percentage of what you got back. And the first few people that did it got big checks back before the IRS figured what was going on, and then they shut the door and they wouldn't send uh, checks back. They'd send you a $500 frivolous filing penalty for every 1040 NR you filed. I got three of them, okay? So uh, I I do not suggest people go through this process, and Weiss Paris will not take you through it anymore, but they've got the information on the revocation of election on their website. Their website is very okay. informative and understanding right. the internal so, revenue. Code. So this is the very wrinkle good. that hit me lately. The revocation of election was only for three years back. Okay, what if you send them your affidavit, and now you're a non-resident alien, and you can legitimately come back and file an NR for three years back returns? What would they do? I don't know. I'll do it and find out. <laughs> 
Well, I don't know. It's just something I, I we were talking about this on the air, Lauren, in the last couple of weeks, and and it hit me yeah. in the middle of the conversation. Well, damn, I think we found a way around that. See, but I don't see. Look, my feeling was when I, even though they took thirty five thousand dollars out of my house closing, I knew I was done with them. Because the contracts I was under had been fulfilled, even though it was fraudulent, okay? And I was so happy to have these thieving bastards out of my life. And what I decided was that $35,000 was a pretty cheap price to pay for the education I'd gotten from them. Yep. Okay, so just like the federal government, all you people, I want to go back and get my mortgage. What about my Social Security money? I want it all in one lump sum. You've severed it with the bastards. Go on about your life. Yep. You're you're inviting. If if you go back and try and do that, you're inviting trouble. Okay? I'm telling you. Yep. Don't look back. You might turn into a pillar of salt. I mean, amen. Yeah. Okay? So, Lauren, we're right at the end of the... Boy, this this show's gone quick today, hasn't it? Do you I all really like, like your Saturday shows? This is great. Yeah, well, Thanks we just go back over and go in-depth on some of this stuff that normally we wouldn't do during the week because there's questions and whatever. So this is a good platform for that sort of thing. Um, the, yeah. any, anybody got any questions on what we've covered today as we get towards the end of the Saturday show? Any, it is on your archives also, isn't it, Roger? Pardon me? Sorry, the neighbor's knowing it's on your archives. Probably. This show, Saturdays. Oh, oh, I, I archive it. Yeah, I upload any of our shows here. Okay. So well, I got to run out and meet somebody for lunch today. So it may not be, and they're on a time schedule, so it may not be up till later, but I'll try and do it best I can. I try and do it immediately after the show is because I got to write a show description. And if I wait too long, I can't remember what we talked about because we talk about so many different things ordinarily. This was a real good show. Um, I want to say one thing. Amos from Georgia, who came in, popped in. He hasn't been on for a while, but he uh, he messaged, private messaged me that he, this is mind-boggling. Remember, he was the guy that sent in his uh, affidavit and required wanted to get his passport changed at the same time? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, guess what? This will blow your mind. He still didn't send it in to the Secretary of State, but he did send in a request to get his passport changed and got it. He didn't send an affidavit into the secretary of state. He didn't include it with a app app passport app. Yeah. He just, he said he, 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 he didn't send it. Well, he didn't resend it separately to the secretary of state because he, he did them both at the same time, but yeah. he did get his, his card. Okay. So there you mind boggling. Okay. Anyway. So we learn as we go. I well, still haven't even gotten them to give me mine for over two and a half months, you know? Well, uh, it's, it's a process, folks. I mean, I'm still learning after 30 years, okay? And I know you're still learning. So that's why yeah. I say it's a process, and the process is going to go much easier for you if you really get your arms around these basics. What is admiralty law? What are these things? How come they don't apply like all these patriot guys say? Well, it's easy. They don't use the right remedy. There's only one remedy for admiralty law, and that's prize. I don't see a bunch of prize. I see a bunch of people grabbing stuff, but they're doing it with a with a firm procedure called self-help remedies where you've signed a contract, and the remedy is in the contract called the recognizance clause. That's how they're able to do it. It's not they just come grab your stuff. 
This show is so good to explain that. I'm telling you, anybody that wants to know the difference between Merchant Law and Almaty Law, this show really, really, really clarifies that. And what the Brits did, I remember John telling us that the Brits combined maritime and admiralty at some point on the line. I've never studied it. I don't know the date. I don't know mm-hmm. any of that, but I know they combined them. They used to be separate. Right. Okay. I got a quick question. Oh, you better be quick. When you guys were filing back when John was doing that and you just said, if you filed under the wrong status, you can go back and get three years. What status did if you knew that you were filing well, that's what, that's status, when, what well, was the status here, that they thought that you were filing? Well, under? they knew what status we were filing on because we sent them that five-page affidavit and we'd file it in the property records of our where we lived or where we were born or both. We did not know to send it to the Secretary of State, who's the guy that's in charge of all matters concerning citizenship. So, therefore, when we presented them with the affidavit, it had not been filed under the Secretary of State, and now that's their grounds to come back after you. Understand that? I guess I'm... No, because I guess I'm... Well, we had not... We didn't know that the the Secretary of State was the master guy that is the only guy that could change your status back then. Okay, but my question is, when you say the... If you filed under the wrong status, you can go back and file. So what status did you change to go back and file? Well, we sent them that affidavit that we weren't citizens of the United States. There's oh, okay. All right, whoever's got... Okay. Okay. Sorry. No, I get it. I get it. I get it. Okay. Because you, you just and sent it to the wrong person. We didn't send it to the right person. The Secretary of State first. The- and so yeah. that's why... Uh, that's why the first few people that filed it got those big checks back until they realized what was going on, and that's when they slept the door. Right. Okay. okay. So you just hadn't sent it. You didn't know to send it to the Lord of the Manor. I, I've often filed. said on here that if we'd have known, and John should have known, okay, but he was so focused on the tax issue, if we okay. would have known to file that with the Secretary of State and then do the revocation of election, we may live in a different country right now. That's how critical another, that was. Because, in other words, where we're at right now, you were thinking back then that the IRS was the lord of the manor, right? Exactly. Well, we didn't know the okay. sec- Secretary of State was. We thought you just okay. sent the affidavit to them and filed it okay. in the local property records office. That fulfills due process, but it doesn't fulfill changing it with the lord of the manor in all matters concerning citizenship. That's the point we missed. Okay, I was just trying to make it in my common sense head what you were doing there. Well, like, okay. I, like I said, if we'd have known that, 30 years ago we may live in a different country right now honest to god right right okay because the other group that i was in they were just going to the local and filing it there so i would have been in the same situation you sure would have been you'd gotten five thousand dollar frivolous filing penalties 